0: Well, welcome to another episode of Tree Actions, the Human Forestry Podcast. And joining me is my co-host, Tony Tressel, and with us today, all the way, I I am not I'm pretty sure in Ottawa or near Ottawa is Astrid Nielsen. Welcome, Astrid.
1: Thank you, thank you. Hello. Um, yeah, from actually downtown Ottawa. Just a very, very urban living. Yeah. yeah.
0: Welcome, Astrid. Yes, and we're looking forward to this as well. You're our, our second lady we've had on the show, and uh, there's going to be more for sure, but uh, we had a great conversation with Wendell Lee a couple weeks ago or so. And, uh, well, you know, we always start off by asking people how it was that they got into trees. Where did it all begin? You know, some for some people, it's as a child, just being interested in climbing trees for fun, and then it evolved into more of that. But but where did Astrid find her way into the human forest in the first place?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I guess in the end, I could say that I came to it sort of naturally because it's, it's part of uh, the family story. Um, I come from a line of foresters. Um, my father, as well as my grandfather on my mother's side. But that's that was sort of the, I think, roundabout way. I, I don't think I sort of thought as f- trees and forestry um, for a career early on. That's for sure. Um, I, it sort of it came upon me when I was living out west. So I, uh, I uh, went out west. I decided after school in, in Ottawa, after high school, just I had a bit of a sense of adventure and just wanted to see what other parts of Canada had to offer. So I applied to UBC, um, got in, but that was for engineering, actually. I I thought, oh, I'm going to go out and check out uh, engineering and and see where that takes me. Um, Yeah. So I got into UBC. It was all excited. It was very exciting. Spent the summer in Banff, um, working and then headed uh, to UBC. And uh, it was, it was a tough year. It it was a tough year for me. And uh, I, after that, I took a year off, and then I decided to uh, try, try a different route, and I went into an environmental studies program to boost my marks, um, to try and get back into, into university. But uh, I, d- I decided to go into this program offered at Langara College called Environmental Studies. This was also in Vancouver. And... I still remember some of those courses. Um, it was, so this was over 30 years ago, 1991. And the class, one of the classes, we learned about climate change. And I was just, I mean, I was horrified mm. when I heard the stories about what would happen back. And this was a long time ago when nobody had heard of climate change, really. And I remember coming back and telling my family about it. And they thought, wow she's crazy. (laughs) What's she talking about? And I was kind of freaked out about it. And, uh, I kind of turned into like this granola hippie who was worried about throwing anything out, you know, became total vegetarian, um, really became conscious about my footprint on the planet. And so I guess that's a little bit where it started. Um, but through this one year in this program, I, uh, I thought, you know, it's not really focused enough. Um, and there's, and at this time, I don't know if you guys recall, but the Clackwit Sound era and the protests, that old growth protests that were happening out in Vancouver at the time, it was actually a pretty exciting time to be there. And you'd hear people talking about trees all everywhere you went. And I was just blown away at how much uh, the, the general population knew about forests and trees, and I had kind of grown up with a, learning a little bit about trees through my dad, but I'd never really taken it that seriously. And here I was out west, going, "Wow, yeah, this is actually really, really important stuff." And it's and uh, and people can relate. It's so I thought, okay, you know, maybe this forestry forestry is the way to go. So I got back into UBC um, and studied finished my uh degree in forestry there and it was great never never regretted never looked back um with any regrets on that so that's how it all began
0: wow so you spent time working in british columbia then like uh, and some time out there in the working with trees
1: yeah, so my summer jobs were all um, th- well through, throughout BC. I had different summer jobs. Actually, one summer even up in the Yukon, I spent uh, doing some timber cruising and and different uh, forestry work, camping in a in a trail with a trailer, uh, traveling throughout the Yukon. So that was one summer job. Another summer job was actually in Germany, um, and then another one up in Fort St. John, BC, and then. After I graduated, I uh, spent a couple of summers doing field work in BC as well, and before coming back to Ontario in 1998.
2: So you said your your father had a forestry background. Was that like just a traditional, straight up forestry, like, uh, or or what what realm was that?
1: Yeah. So um, okay. So my father is actually from Chile in South America, and he studied forestry he was actually the first graduate from the forestry program at in his hometown in Valdivia which wow. is in the south of Chile and it's the University of austral um, and they started this forestry program and he, he was one of two students um, that's uh, back in oh I guess that would be in the 50s 50s and 60s maybe. Um, or maybe early sixties. Yeah. Yeah. So they, he, he did this undergraduate there and he was the only one out of eight children that, that was able to go to university. And so he finished with that degree and then he ended up going to Germany, uh, and to, and he did his PhD. He met my mother, um, down in Chile because it's, this is kind of a long story, but my mother's father was the forester in Germany. And he actually, I, I, know, I know, it's kind of confusing, but he had a two-year work placement to actually teach at the University of Austral in Chile. So he he went down with my mother. Um, she went down to help him manage his life basically down there kind of to look after him a little bit and uh and that's where she met my father and he didn't know any spanish this was you know back in the day where you'd be hired to go and do some work overseas knowing the language was well you know it was a bonus if you did but it certainly wasn't always a requirement so yeah, he went down for a couple of years and met my mom. Uh, my dad met my mom. He actually set them up because he met my father. He's like, "Oh, you have to meet my daughter." <laughs> and uh, yeah, the rest is history. So um, they went. They went back to Germany after that, and he actually went back um, and he did his his PhD. He was he was uh, lucky enough to to continue his studies, and he he got his PhD from the University of Freiburg. Uh, just. Just uh, I guess within the Black Forest region, or just outside of it, in in Germany, and then he was uh, he got the, yeah, and then he he got a job in Canada with a forest management institute in uh, 1968.
2: Yeah, that's it. I mean, he's I mean, literally, you're like because you know. Basically, forestry, silviculture, as it was called, was started in you know Germany and then spread out from there. And then it wasn't until you know pretty much like it was the late eighteen hundreds, very early nineteen hundreds, it didn't you know they started built more in Asheville here in the United States, and that that silviculture, how you could actually care for a tree in a forest. So that's, I mean, you're like two degrees removed from from the very beginning of it all. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, my dad actually his PhD was in forest mensuration. And he remembers um, the, when the, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, who basically invented the um, um, the basal prism, basal, uh, which is such an important tool in forestry. And he invented that tool. Uh, he was a, a German fella. And he, 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 my dad saw him speak. He still remembers when he came to Canada and gave a presentation. So yeah he's <laughs> certainly uh he's been around
0: yeah, the basal prism is that a is that a, a technique a tool or i'm not familiar with that
1: yeah so it's this really cool tool um and all it is it's a piece of glass essentially wow. and you use this little tool allows you to easily calculate the basal area of a stand of a forest stand and that can be translated then to volume of the stand and the basal area is if you cut all the trees uh, in a forest at a height of 1.3 meters and you take the cross-sectional area and you add and you add it up that's a basal area and so that translates to volume. So it, it's a really powerful tool in the sense that you can uh, go into a forest quickly, and you just do—you would do a, a sweep, what we call uh, with a with a prism—and you basically take the number of trees that are in. You hold it up to a tree, and if the tree is—it's um, hard to explain without drawing an image—but you can tell pretty quickly if the tree is in or out. Huh. Um, And if it's in, you just tally the number of trees and you multiply that with your basal area factor and you have the basal area of the stand and you can estimate your volume for that with that. So it's rather than going out and doing fixed area plots, which take a lot of time and, and. making all those calculations. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a fascinating tool. (laughs) So all that to say is, yeah, it's sort of the same, the same era, you know, from those uh, forestry tools that my dad is sort of familiar with.
0: I I can't help but wonder if it has where, you know, why we have cross-sectional area like trunk formula method and tree appraisal probably, you know, its roots possibly, no doubt have some connection back to that you know i know it's not the same but using a cross sectional area at a speci- at, you know at the same height in order to establish that type of baseline f- to begin with
1: yeah yeah for sure and like that whole measuring at 1.3 meters too i think uh mind you i think in arboriculture, culture i've seen it switch f- but I think 1.3 is the most common one um, height measurement that I that I still see around.
0: Yeah, you see 1.3 and 1.4, right? Yeah, it's it's close. It's very close. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: That, that's the classic diameter press breast height, right? Which is exactly. what you use for board feet calculation. And see, see my father has a forestry background yeah. as well. So there's probably a prism. Yeah, I think he actually has a prism around here somewhere. Okay. He's been gone for a number of years. Really? and I haven't gone through all his crap yet, but I'm sure it's around here somewhere. Yeah, because, uh, well, he started with a forestry <laughs> background, very same okay. in the 60s, and then was doing timber cruises and stuff. So but i there is a lot of similarities I've noticed from you know single tree appraisal to basically timber stand estimation I think when it comes to getting volume and things like that so it's it's they do they do relate they're distance cousins, but they do relate
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. for sure so um you know uh sorry my i did i i bumped out and i I missed some of it there, but um I, I'd asked you the question after about working in BC and I think that's what took us down this path, but where, uh, you know, when, did, how did your uh, journey through the trees change after, you know, kind of getting us more like, well, I don't know exactly how your path, I mean, I met you at the city of Ottawa and the first time, the first time I met you, was it a quick jump from BC two there, or what happened in between?
1: Oh yeah, I'd say a very long <laughs> jump, <laughs> slow slow motion a long jump. Um, so from there, came back to. Ottawa, and uh, so my father actually, he was working, he started a company in 1978, um, He, when he came to Canada, he went to the Forest Management Institute for 10 years, and uh, then he, with two other colleagues, opened up a forestry consulting company, um, which was in business actually for almost 35 years, and so I came back to work with him, and we did mostly uh, work in remote sensing for forestry applications, um, forest inventory. And so I did that for about 10, let's say, yeah, maybe close to 10 years. And the interim I did do, I went back to school and I completed my master's of forest conservation at the University of Toronto uh where which is actually a, I teach there now I've been teaching a course there for the mm-hmm. last seven years um which is great love love doing that and uh but uh you know I think I, I think basically a job came up at the city of Ottawa and this was in 2009 um my colleague uh, Martha Copestake at the who's who's at the city of Ottawa and she's uh she does a lot of work around the development of yeah. tree bylaws and tree and um, forest policy at the city, and she went on that leave for a year, and so this really interesting position came up for a year placement at the city of Ottawa. And I thought, oh, I was kind of at the time um, thinking, okay, I need something, just looking for a bit of a change, mm. and and that position came up. And I thought, oh, that's great, I'll do that for a year and get some new connections, and like, what is this urban forestry? <laughs> what is this urban forestry business anyway? What's it all about? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So um, started at the city of Ottawa and she had just, uh, she was responsible or she led a project to implement the first urban tree conservation bylaw at the city of Ottawa. And it was, so basically the first, my first week of work uh, was when this bylaw went into effect Mm. And so she trained me up for a week or two um, and then she went on mat leave and then I was spent the year basically um, implementing this bylaw in. and I was uh, the lone forester as as she was that was her position um, in the planning department at the city so it was definitely like an interesting year really super steep learning curve you know I had to learn about planning I had to learn about urban forestry and then um, the bylaw as well so it was like like yeah lots of information um but a really unique opportunity and it got it introduced me to urban forestry which I loved so uh you know definitely grateful for that and then after she came back I was like oh yeah this this is kind of cool and then there was a there was a position that opened up over in public works so I went there for six years and and worked there for a while in, in, in a bunch of different positions actually, but uh, yeah yeah, so I definitely had um, a, qu- a quick and fast exposure to urban forestry, but it's you know it's quite a bit different uh, for uh, than, than traditional forestry is, uh, especially you know, 12, 13 years right. ago. So um, there's definitely a lot yeah, definitely a lot to learn.
0: So you know it's interesting. We, there's, I don't know that many people. Or may I guess I'll ask you the question if it's that common? I mean, you you've you're you know fully vetted and fledged from the forestry side of things and experienced work therein and credentialed in there and and now you know you're you're teaching in it, but you're also you know you spent quite a few years you know in the urban forestry side or in the arboriculture side of things, you know how has that been and what is the difference? Like, does it like, what's it, what's it like versus, you know, being in the forest versus the urban forest. And, and how do you, uh, one last little thing, uh, how do you feel about that term? I Shiga would always laugh when he would hear that. He said urban forestry, he said he remembered being in a meeting back in the day. And he said that someone threw it out as a joke. We should call it urban forestry because he said it's a bit of an oxymoron the The term itself, because forest and urban don't really make sense. But here, you you know, you're an example of it where you've come from the forest into the urban area, but yet you're dealing with trees. I'm curious how that's been for you. and And I don't think it's that common of a journey, or is it?
1: Well, I think... <sighs> You know, I think the last 10 years or so, we are seeing more foresters going into urban forestry, but we're starting to incorporate more of it into programs. So if you meet someone coming from sort of the traditional forestry stream now, they will most likely have some exposure in urban forestry. Um, They will have had some throughout their teachings. But like, I mean, my undergraduate, I never heard of do like through my studies i never heard of the term urban forestry or even considered that there were even people working on trees in the in the urban area i mean certainly with with regards to tree maintenance perhaps but not someone that would actually managing the urban forest resource so uh that and we never really yeah we never learned about it um so but i do think that more people it is becoming more common like and some of my colleagues actually most of my colleagues at the city of ottawa they come with they have similar backgrounds to me as well so um it's it's certainly not that uncommon and i think like from all the professional foresters on Ontario now, the last I heard, like I remember, ten years ago, it was maybe ten percent of them that were urban foresters, and I would hazard to guess that it's certainly higher now. I mean, I don't know what the than the percentage is, but I my guess is it's higher now, and we know it's been growing, right? Like there, are, right, there are right. just. There are jobs in the, in urban forestry, and and a lot more people want to stay in the cities. That's that's right. the reality. So, and the type of people. So this is kind of what's interesting is. Um, so I've been teaching this course for seven years at U of T. It's the urban forestry field course, hmm. that's part of the Masters of Forest Conservation program that they have, and. Through just the seven years that I've been there, I've noticed. Like, this is all anecdotal. Um, BFT would have, you know, better numbers and and for you on this. But basically, my what I've been seeing is more people from urban areas coming in and doing the course. So, which is hmm. kind of cool because we really need people in cities to be able to relate to other people in cities to recognize to help get the message out there that trees are really important and trees are cool and to get more people interested in trees so i've seen i've seen that change um i don't know if that answers any of your question i think i just sort of um, rambled on about that but i i think you know I, i think yeah it's it's changing um the the I'm, you know, and with our culture too, more people are interested in becoming arborists from different kinds of backgrounds. That's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I think my guess, like, I wonder, I'd be curious to see what you guys thought about that, but it's, um, it's, you know, not just the tree workers out there that are interested in becoming arborists. It's people doing all sorts of different work on trees and maybe not necessarily people who have ever climbed trees before becoming arborists.
0: Right. Um, well is that is yeah, that something yeah, that so I think that that's something that people think think about. They think about arborists often it's associated with climbing, but um certainly you know, sometimes with, with pruning and removal, but you know, you know, I'd think the 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 term or the definition or the scope of what an arborist does has been expanded. I mean, there always was plant health care, but but certainly within the urban forest management, you know, of managing it as a resource is is something I don't know exactly when it all started, but I think it is relatively new within the scheme of things, you know, as far as municipal development. You said something that piqued my curiosity. You said people from the urban areas are coming to take uh, urban forestry or, or coming into forestry. Did, like, would you say that the people that were to enter the school or take, like, decide to enter the field were more rural or you know forest type people or uh, uh, what did you mean by that i found that an interesting comment you made
1: yeah um yeah my undergrad uh basically so i graduated in 1996 uh, and out of 70 people in my graduating class 10 percent were women and i would say like most of them uh, came from smaller towns throughout BC. Oh, wow. A large majority. Yeah, m- most of them, <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it's just different now. I think people from, uh, yeah, from the urban centers, and and that's because of the growth in urban forestry is what I see. That's, that's my theory, um, is that growth in urban forestry is really, Getting more people interested in trees um, and all different areas of, of trees. You know, there's just so much you can you can go into. There's you can go into you know, GIS. You can go into health. Yeah, healthcare. You know, um, pest management. Right. Um, or sorry not healthcare but maybe you know yeah. uh, um uh manage um t- tree health yeah for tree health forest health uh oh boy the list goes on and there's just so many options available for people today if they're interested in working in the outdoors
0: interesting so what um what do you find uh you know i mean obviously you you chose this career and it's in your family lineage you know you were kind of maybe destined for it you could say but you obviously must enjoy it, nonetheless. You know what is it about working with trees that you find rewarding? Like, about—is it the trees? Is it the work? Or you know—is it a combination?
1: Yeah, I love being outdoors. Like the—I uh, would say in—in in life, my the holidays that involve being in the outdoors are the ones I've always enjoyed the most. Any sort of trip that I've done. That is, let's say, a canoe trip or a hiking trip. You, you, I just remember them really well, and those are just the highlights for me. It's, I just love being out there. There's something about um, you feel strong. I feel strong when I'm out in the woods. I feel uh, independent. I feel, and I just, it, it's healthy. I feel like I'm giving myself like sort of a healthy dose of vitamins when I'm in the woods and Mm -hmm. it's just good for the soul so I I like that aspect of it a lot Um, yeah and I think I I felt that as soon as I started doing field work I realized wow this is this is really amazing just to be able to be outside and work at the same time and the number of times I've counted or I've said the term you know oh I love this job uh, when I'm in when I'm outside is I it's a lot. <laughs> right, right. So I think it pretty I'm I feel often really, really grateful when I'm out in the woods. Uh, and I'm there for work. And that could be any sort of field work in, in, in the city as well. Right. Um, it doesn't have to always be in the woods. Okay. Uh, so, I, yeah, I just feel really grateful. I'm like, this, this, is, this is the job to have, man. <laughs> like, we're getting paid to do this. So it's, it's great. I mean, of course, you, of course you have crappy days, but I'm sort of lucky enough right now in my career that I can plan my field days out for the most part on, to make them coincide with the nice sunny <laughs> nice sunny days. So, So that's pretty sweet for me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you can
0: when you control the weather, yeah. you've really, you really made it in the shade. And that's one way to do it is a, a schedule when <sighs> you can it in it. Um, You know, we talk about this concept, you know, of human forestry and the human forest. And, you know, I, I, when you were talking about, you know, being out in the trees and getting a dose of vitamins and feeling, I wondered, I wanted to ask you how much of that is do you think has been imparted to you because of the old growth in your human forest, like your parents and, and the connection there, like, did you learn how to do this or was it imparted from them, you know, through their root systems into your root system, you know, by being connected or how is that, like, how do you think you got there? Was it just in you or did you learn it or did it grow?
1: I think I found, I think initially I found it through my own path, yeah. and then it connected through my family path. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we've oh, so we've got a piece of property. Um, my base uh, it was in the family, and then my dad bought it off off my uncle. So basically, it's in our family now. A piece of property uh, about uh, an hour and a half north of Ottawa, where we spend a lot of time. We're actually tapping trees up there right now. And the SAP is flowing like crazy today. Wow. No. And so we've, uh, we spend a lot, yeah, 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 it's awesome. And we spend a lot of time up there and uh, more so sort of the last 10 years, I think, than ever before in my life and so that connection is definitely becoming stronger for me uh, with that tie to the land and tie to the family for me so i would say that through initially i found the path on my own but oh since then it's been the connection has developed uh, with within my family as well so um just as an example like my dad and i'm Probably, well, my mother and my dad, for the last 30 years, they they were always looking for um, uh, Chanterelles, Chanterelle mushrooms. Chanterelle in German, that's what my mom always called them. And uh, so they've been uh, picking Chanterelles up at our farm for many years. And I started getting into the Chanterelle, uh, picking maybe... 15 years ago or so. And since then, uh, grown to learn more mushrooms and pick more mushrooms and eat more mushrooms and so it's become a bit of a ritual for my father and I to go out mushroom hunting together and um, and my sister as well and uh, and oh and I forgot to mention my brother is actually a forester as well (laughs) so uh, so we all spend a lot of yeah we all spend a lot of time up there Um, so we make maple syrup um I don't hunt, but my family the rest of my family does hunt up at the farm, right, so we've got that connection to the land as well so yeah 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 that that's that connection i think runs pretty deep for us here as part of um yeah part of our family custom
0: interesting you know we we um we end up invariably talking a little bit about you know not only our connections that we have with others but 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 how have you ever felt or do you ever draw parallels to trees in your own personal life like as a person or or think of people or see uh similarities like from how trees live and grow and interact and does it help you or do you ever do you think it's helped your influence in the way that you are as a person in interacting with people when you if and, and do you ever draw any parallels to that or do you have any thoughts on that? If that, some that, some there's any lessons to be had of how trees interact with one another and how humans should.
1: Oh, you mean like within a forest setting, how trees interact with one another versus... Yeah,
0: just, you know, yeah, I guess it's being a bit anthropomorphic and thinking how do trees... Like, Is there lessons we can learn about trees? You know, you mentioned, you know, global warming and so on. Like even in the stewardship of the planet, is there... Is there, is there examples in the forest and how trees live for us to to follow? And have you ever thought of that or do you, does that, does that resonate with you, that concept?
1: Well, I think the whole concept of, I mean, I think what we're all missing or not, we're all missing, what many of us are missing in society is that link to nature. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, we can't i mean i can't obviously trees are out in nature and they're a part of it um and i wish that we as humans could be more a part of nature and understand and relate to nature a little bit better and as soon as i find that as soon as people do start to develop that link then there's a better chance that they'll become stewards of the forest and take better care and 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 be more concerned about about the planet and, and their footprint on it. So I certainly think the forest and the trees have lessons for us, absolutely. Um, you know, to slow down and and pay attention to them, I think is one of the key lessons that they could give us. And I think we all need to do that a little bit, yeah. Just, and, you know, I think through COVID too, you, we hear this often, um, and it was certainly the case for me is, uh, just to appreciate, and I think it's a part of getting older as well. I don't know if you guys feel this, but I just, it's a, it's a smaller things, right? Like it's, I I love to travel and I've traveled a lot in my life and I still do like to travel for sure. And, and, but I, I don't feel the need to fly somewhere far away to experience something Mm. big and amazing because there are lots of amazing things in my Mm -hmm. own backyard here that I've yet to experience and explore. And I think COVID taught me that a little bit more, sort of reinforced that a little bit more. Um, But yeah, yeah. So that's, and back to our own property and going up to our own woodlot here, just appreciating that more. And there's lots to discover there that I don't know. So it's, that link is so important and yeah. And I, you know what I find super exciting though is is that I think that uh, that link is happening. We need, we certainly, um, we have a long way to go before we strengthen it to the point where I think that as a society, we're better linked Mm -hmm. to nature. But I'm pretty excited about so many initiatives that I'm seeing out there right now around forest stewardship. Uh, There, to me, that's ultimately what's going to change this planet and, and it' gives me the greatest hope is to see these links to uh, these, these stewardship activities starting in neighborhoods across Canada. And I think the I, I think it would be safe to say the world you know whether it's a restoration of a tiny plot mm-hmm. of land or growing uh, uh, encouraging gardens, community gardens or people sort of ripping up their grass and, and planting, maybe clover or native species. So those initiatives, they're all small, but I think these grassroots initiatives are really going to be what's, be the change and, and make the change.
0: You uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, that if people could, um, I think you use you the term learn to connect, or if they could begin to understand, you know, uh, the forest experience, what 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 do you how do you explain that like that for yourself how do you explain what it is about the forest or about trees that that we, what are you talking about when you say that and then how would you or recommend or what would you say to someone that, that to to suggest how they might go about you know experiencing what you experience like how could you help someone experience that what would you say to them to to find that
1: um, I think part of it is understanding the impact mm. that we have that as a society have had historically. So when you look at uh, when you're driving through the country and you, you kind of start to understand at a lens, like the settled landscapes that, that we drive past all the, right. T- right. All the time. Um, throughout you know, throughout Canada, through so much of the landscapes are they're settled landscapes. And they have a history. They have a history uh, for um, centuries of, of often, yeah. <laughs> often it's not the best history in terms right. of you know, um, what we've done to the land. And, and just sort of I think when people start to understand and comprehend that, you know, oh, this port, this, this entire landscape used to be, Um, forested, or wetlands, or just understanding that uh, what it used to be. I think that starts, what I see, um, a light bulb is often will go off in people's head and say, oh, wow, yeah, like just recognizing that it hasn't always looked this way. And I think that's sort of the beginning of what um, people start to to hang on to and can connect with. Um, And then, uh, yeah, and so kind of understanding your own Im- the impacts of society, and then our own impacts too. Uh, that that's that's the starting point, and then from there, really just being out in the woods, I think, is is really important. And whether it be you know walks in the woods, or however, everybody's different. Um, whether it's going to be looking. Yeah, foraging for for plants or mushrooms, or whether it's going on a hiking trip, a canoe trip, any of those, any anything, just being out there is is a way to really
0: connect. I like what you said about the history. I really, it, it just made me think of something. Um, you know, I I don't remember when it was on one of my trips out, and I believe it actually was to Ottawa. Uh, someone mentioned about. The, the land like the Ottawa or the, the, well the St Lawrence Valley particularly that whole region all the way out to you know right out to the gas bay right into Montreal to to where it comes into thousand islands like that whole region was quite densely forested uh, going back to what what 200 years I guess you could say or maybe previous to that it was very densely forested with white pine and mind, is that correct
1: absolutely yeah and big white pine too (laughs) we always just think big trees out west but there were there were huge white pines throughout Ontario yeah I remember
0: I was doing a program in in Kitchener and and they had a large white pine that and I'm talking BC size it was massive and it had been getting encroached upon by road development and the road had been expanded once more and it was starting to tip and it was well over a hundred. It was probably a hundred and thirty, a hundred and forty feet tall, and I would say easy a meter, more than a meter in diameter at the base. Like it was, and I remember the the guys. It came up as a tree for the project for the course because they uh they, their bucket didn't reach the first branch, and there was no other tree. They never encountered this before. Where the bucket didn't even, the full extension wouldn't reach the lowest limb. So there, and then it was leaning so heavy, they, they were a little nervous about climbing it. And, you know, we ended up, and it did need to be removed because it was clearly up, like uprooting and it was going to go down eventually. It was still alive, but it was going to take down some significant power lines in in the midst of this process. But unfortunately we did have to remove it. But it was, it, it just struck me how none of them had ever seen it. And I was going, why this kind of, and that's, a thing when I realized, and it, you know, someone said, well, if you, you know, this used to be all full of it. And that's an example of what you're talking about. And, you know, obviously we can't go back and bring it all back, but, but an awareness of that and, uh, you know, the, the, the lack of attention to that, that used to be, you know, in the name of progress, you know, I'd like to think that we're past that, but, you know. You know, awareness and education is really a key to, to making that happen, I think. You know, we had Professor Pricklethorn on the show a couple of weeks ago, and, and that's a lot of what he's trying to do through young people, you know, sharing the, the benefits of trees so people from a young age can start to benefit from that or, or recognize that.
1: Yeah, for sure. The, it's the young kids. We got. We have to. <laughs> yeah, get them to to appreciate nature, and that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there's so much work that. So many good people are are trying to do. Yeah, um, Professor Pricklethorn is a great example of that, and there's I can name many others, colleagues that are going out and talking to talking to children in schools and and really just trying to uh, get get young kids educated about about trees and nature. So there's lots of that going on, but it's it's a tough one because you know they've. They've got so much competition with this fast world mm. of the internet and phones. Um, there's a lot of tre- trees have a pretty tough competition out there right now for in terms of. <laughs> um attention spans right right? right. so (laughs) trying to yeah 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 so it's 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 a tough one but uh at least you know I, i at least there's a lot of people who are trying really hard and i think a lot of teachers are try to incorporate teachings about nature into their programs um so hopefully hopefully that push continues um because we really need it and those young kids really um I sh- it's not that they need to learn about it. I think that it's more that they deserve to mm. learn about it. They deserve to ha- have that connection because really like it, you don't meet kids, you don't meet a kid that doesn't want to be out in the forest. Like, every kid loves to be out in the forest. Interesting. It's not until we become adults and some may say, oh no, I don't like the bugs or I don't like dealing with this and that, but all kids love to be outside in the outdoors.
0: Yeah really um yeah yeah it's almost like we're born with the like before I don't know what happens but you know it's like a young kid young children always enjoy they, they don't complain about being outside in the the dirt or the soil the parents might have concerns but the children don't and then it seems like at some point it changes doesn't it like there's it can be you know, either video games or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, judge or say that, that anything is bad necessarily, but, but it does, it does seem to be, you know, what do you think causes that or causes that shift?
1: I guess I'm not sure. Maybe comforts. Hmm. Um, we, we all get used to our comforts. Right. And I, I, I guess, uh, um, yeah, just the, the it's just easier sometimes not to be out in the out in the woods when it's um, you've got the comforts of home so close by. So maybe that's all it is, but um, yeah, and it's it's not you know, not everybody's gonna go down the green path. That's for sure, but it's nice to have that opportunity if if it's presented to you. Well,
0: and it's it, it you know it's interesting. It's not even it's not even just the green path, but the fact that the you know the the land the trees you know our whole existence and in, in so many ways you know is tied in with forestry or you know water trees and earth you know that that without those we'd be in pretty big trouble even in the cities
1: <laughs> yeah for sure and i think we hear that a lot from um, indigenous people yeah. talk and and it, and hopefully, you know, there's a lot of that, um, or I should say, more of it, in the curriculum, the school curriculums, than certainly than I was exposed to when I went through school. And hopefully, the kids are maybe learning a little bit about that connection through that as well. So, so, so
0: what um, uh, you know, I what is your uh, what 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 do you know about the you know the indigenous you know. Uh, forestry concept or what they you know obviously it was very different but i you know i don't have a i have some knowledge of it and we've had people on talk about this before but you know you know i and in fact it's kind of funny you bring it up because when i was when i was thinking about asking you about the saint lawrence valley and, and all the pine trees i was for some reason in my brain i was thinking you know we call it the saint lawrence valley but you know, it was called something else long before that. And, you know, it's funny, we put names to things, and I thought, I wonder if, you know, I don't know, Tony, in the U.S., is it known as the St. Lawrence Valley up there? Like, is that what it's called even in the United States? Or does the Americans call that region? Because, you know, it splits U.S. and Canada there.
2: No, it's pretty much, yeah, we use the same. Uh, we would call it St. Lawrence Valley, sure. The St.
0: Lawrence, even though it was, that's even though that's a, yeah, okay. But, you know, I, and I don't even know what the First Nations called that region. But, um, you know, what do you think? I, it's funny, Astrid, I was thinking the same thing about wonder what, you know, how the play, how, when you were talking about, you used a term that I, I found intriguing us, uh, civil, not civilized, cultured, or something about how the land was claimed and used. I can't remember the term you used, but like First Nations didn't do that. You know, they, they didn't do that kind of thing. They kind of were part of it, not, they didn't claim it, but, um. How would things look if, or how could things look if we were to follow more of that model? And what is the model of First Nations? Do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I'm not gonna. Um, I think there's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Indigenous um, people across Canada, and it's so many different um, and. and so right. many different variations uh, and approaches that um that i'm sure that they all use and how they yeah. but generally um the connection to the land is i would say quite different than the one that i was brought up no, using and i think that any you know people who come with sort of a european background um <laughs> it's just a different it, it's now that being said i've learned a little bit well i think just in this discussion you've probably you've heard that my connection to the land Mm -hmm. has become stronger through my life um, because of the paths that i've chosen and so i'm and i'm pretty grateful for that and i continue to try and strengthen that all the time and i do that often through learnings from, from indigenous resources um books i've read some books or i you know, hear a lot of um, uh, just on CBC. There's a lot of programming, um, Indigenous programming. So through that, I've I've learned a lot more about how this connection to the land and how important it is um, for Indigenous people, and how many of them are trying to regain that back in their communities. And yeah, like I've just I've through my own experiences, I've learned a lot from them hmm. and. Again, I'm grateful for that, and I think we all could use a little bit more of that in our lives. Um, the book that I that I really uh, that I really connected with was called is called Braiding mm. Sweetgrass, and I'm really bad at thinking of people's names off the top of my head, and I can't believe the author's name is escaping me right now. But it's a phenomenal book. She's a Professor
2: Robin Wall Kimmerer.
1: Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, that one I I really connected with that book, and and I love the way that she describes her own life experiences and and the gratitude mm. that. Um, she sort of gives to the earth for everything that um, mother nature is, is is providing for us so it's given me a lot to think about and and yeah yeah I've, it's a very enjoyable read it's highly recommended for any listeners
0: so i to add it to the the tree action recommended readings list tony <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, it was a great book. I read it a couple of years ago and she has a great way of, um, you know, to, I'm not going to speak for her, read, you know, read the book yourself. get her, she's very, intimate. I believe Botany, if I'm, if I remember correctly, is her, she's a, a professor of Botany. But anyway, it's, it's how there's, when it comes to, I guess, if you would call indigenous forestry or first nations forestry, it's, it's, they, they tend to see the land as a gift to be used by all people, not a resource to be managed or somehow conquered. And then there's there's really good instances in there where it's you know the forest is also sort of a uh, almost like a marker like it's almost like an encyclopedia of time that's gone by, and that you can really kind of gauge you know the the people that live within the forest and 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 their cultural development through the forest's cultural development. is very yeah, I highly recommend that one.
0: Yeah, you can you can judge the uh, you can you can well not judge but determine. Um, a lot by the, a lot of a civilization by the condition of its forests or forests. <laughs> but, you know, I do, I, 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 it's interesting, you know, we, we tend to stay so focused on trees as tree people, which, you know, there's, there's, you know, uh, the term land, uh, which you hear more about in, in, in first nations, although they do certainly, you know, there, there's always, uh, not only trees, but water, land, and then also animals. You know that's the thing that's that's very much connected in their teachings. You know, there's always a connection to the to those beings as well. You know that that the creatures of the forest or of the landscape, not just the landscape. And uh, you know, as I as, you know, I have to. It's just making me give pause to that side of it because you know there there's the it's the home of more than the home for so many things right the forest and the land
1: yeah abso- absolutely we're we're just a small piece of the puzzle but we've somehow made ourselves <laughs> a lot uh we've taken more than our yeah. share <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a tough one actually i often um i often say i wish i could i like, sometimes when I'm walking through the forest, I wish I knew Mm. less. I wish I could just turn it off, and just appreciate it for what it is. And I wish that I couldn't see that beech bark disease, or the emerald ash borer, or the Dutch (laughs) disease. I wish I could just turn it all off and and enjoy. And so um, that that's, you know, that's my one wish. And I, I actually do find that what if I if I'm out with a group of friends doing um, something fun like a canoe trip then I, I can turn it yeah. off a little bit more and I don't I, I don't notice all these things that maybe you know an untrained eye wouldn't notice but sometimes I do find it a little bit difficult
0: it's fascinating it, it just it, it's fascinating you say that it because that was the one thing that if If I don't know if you ever did get to meet Dr. Shigo or ever heard him speak but but i I got to spend a lot of time with him, and I got to know him really well and He loved to go walking in the forest he absolutely loved going in the forest and he'd always have his camera and he'd take a picture of every single mushroom he saw because he was a mycologist, so he was it was all about mushrooms, but what was interesting is he every single mushroom or structure, or conch, or fruiting, whatever it was that he saw, it was always with great enthusiasm and beauty. And he would take pictures and exclaim, and he'd have you gather around and look at it and say, look at the, look at the guilt. look at the, and he'd zoom in with, like, he loved the digital camera for that, because then he was like, oh, he could, you know, screen, touch the screen and zoom it in. And he took pictures, like 100 pictures every walk of every manner of, of fungus and he never ever once talked about them in a negative sense you know that it was a disease you know even the ones that were you know it, it he was it was just they were just part of things you know and i remember him talking one time about how no one organism will ever be allowed more than its fair share and he was speaking specifically at the time about chestnut blight and how it had taken out all the american chestnuts but he said it didn't you see there's some and they're making a resurgence and and uh, he said it's like that with all the pests of the forest when you get these massive infestations they they tend to almost go out as fast as they start because nature won't allow any one thing to be more prominent than it's and it's than its energies than it's given and you know we he would quip about how that may one day come to bear on the human race
1: oh i love that (laughs) and i think that um yeah i've certainly i i I know I just sounded pretty negative about, uh, about recognizing all those different diseases and, you know, that's, but I certainly, uh, there's just so much beauty to be seen and to experience that I, I, yeah, I love that. (laughs) And, and being able to just get so excited every time you find a new mushroom and, um, being in awe about, about, uh, you know, finding an animal track you're unsure about or, um, yeah yeah there's just so much so much to explore and to see so that's that's exciting and you need to hang on to those to those discoveries because that's what keeps you going and and definitely can get you past seeing seeing some of the negative stuff that we see on a regular basis too so yeah yeah i love that perspective actually and i remember seeing um a presentation by a wildlife uh, expert here in ottawa a couple of years ago and I loved his approach it was sort of similar in that he spoke about all species uh in in the same light never mentioned the term invasive species or introduced species he he took pictures of wildlife whether they were native or not so it's I love that approach and really appreciated that so I certainly yeah Thanks for that, and I, I, it's it's a good reminder that there's yeah there's just still so much beauty out there, um,
0: yeah, and I always will be. Right. Uh, you know it is a you know there's an example of you know Chigo's, uh you know mycorrhizae or mycelium still infecting us and and others you know because you know we, we it, it it's again that analogy of human forestry, but and and how we're you know we're all. Connected in some little weird way, you know, but, but, um, it really is a choice, you know, that's one part of it that, that, that we have the ability to, to choose, you know, you could say you're having, how's your day going? And you could say not bad or you could say pretty good. And you, you know, it may seem subtle, but are you, do you, do you tend to look for the positives first, you know, and I'm not, making any judgment on you Astrid whatsoever I wasn't even suggesting that because and if anything I related to your comment about you know unlearning I really liked what you said about I wish I didn't know what I knew because you you see things that are de- defects like it's an inclusion or it's a cavity oh that treat it but it's like you know what that doesn't matter it, it's just part of nature and 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 it's okay but um yeah you can choose you know we can choose to see the disease, or we can choose to see the beauty of the mushroom, right? It's, uh, and that that I think is something that we can mentor as as trees in our human forest to other trees, growing up or just interacting with them to to maybe just choose to look at it, things a little differently.
1: Totally. And I love the example you just used of the term defect. So when I, I I write, I prepare a lot of arborist reports and I'm trying to move away from certain terms. In fact, I've never used the term defect um, just because of the negative connotation. Um, and I get, and it's yeah. the power of words. It's, it's amazing. I find how quickly oh. people's opinions can be swayed just by these little nuances, when you write them in reports, so um, and even I'm trying to move away from um, conflict. The term conflict as well. So it, the tree is in conflict with a proposed driveway, and I'm trying to figure out better ways to to word that because the tree is already there and the driveway is being proposed. So is you're kind of it's almost sounding like you're blaming the tree for being so anyway it's just oh these small nuances trying to i'm trying to figure out better ways to um use uh use my words more wisely so you're not putting it um making the tree sound uh so so someone may not pass judgment too quickly mm. on this tree and it's and it's health um in a negative fashion
0: yeah, I had a Buddhist teacher in Thailand who uh, I remember one of the lessons we talked about was was language and words and how you know we need it. Obviously, you know, like Shyam would say, our you know without defining our terms and are not in the, without the ability to communicate, our life can be pretty grim. And especially if we don't know what things mean. But but my Buddhist teacher said it's 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 almost a complete disservice because how can you describe some things like how can a word like sky or tree even begin to describe the organism or what it is like like he, he would he would say imagine if you would never you were blind or you never had seen the world like you never had actually seen you know just look out your window and look at whatever you're looking at the, the scene that you're seeing you never had seen it before in your life and all of a sudden you see trees and grass and sky and clouds and birds. And how would you ever begin to describe what they are with the words I just used? The words I just used could never describe the beauty and the amazement of, of nature or just the things around us. And he said, so they can be so limiting or so confining, or like you say, lead people because, because they're left for our own interpretation, you know, whatever our experience, our lenses that are attached to that term, Formulate what our thoughts will be around it. Even though whoever used the term in the report, like you're writing, you never meant that term to be taken in that way. But it's when someone takes it into their brain, it it's filtered in their filter, and now they have a different outcome with it. And it's it is a powerful medium. But yeah, you know, it's an interesting concept, and I, I really find it fascinating. The what now you're doing that now you're trying to find different words. And Tony, I can just imagine your brain going right now because you love words and you have all sorts of fancy words. So <laughs> I'm curious what you would use in, instead of de facto conflict.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because he says, like, like, the tree's in conflict with the driveway, but the tree was there first, which is a problem. So maybe the driveway is in conflict with the tree. And then, but it's not a fight. You know, it's like, it's not, you know, it's just so why, why is that have to, so, but I think you're right. It's, you know, how we, the words we choose around those things really sets a, a tone to the whole thing. And I, and I've always, you know, I teach a class at Longwood Gardens uh, to a professional, the professional horticulture students. I teach an arboriculture class. They're not meant to be arborists and I just kind of give them an introduction, but we talk a lot about you know really the job of an arborist especially like doing residential work like i've done for so long is it's really kind of be that medium between tree and and humans right like trees don't need me to climb it the oak tree in the front yard doesn't need me to climb up and prune it the people that own the oak tree and live underneath it need me to go up there and prune it right you know whether it be right. for health or aesthetics or safety reasons and you know trees trees do just fine on their own you know it's like uh, they really do you know it's it's interesting working in a profession where when you do a really good pruning job the best compliment you can get is it looks like you didn't do anything like somehow yeah. but it's oddly satisfying for an arborist so you have to look at it i think from a different perspective and i think you know when you start to say the trees in conflict with the driveway now you've set up this 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 situation it's not necessarily Accurate or true, you know, one's in the way of the other. How can we work together and get it, you know, get it resolved? Or, but I, the words we choose are are very, very important. And I diverge from the Buddhist standpoint in that I think you can use words to uh, to describe all that. I think you just have to look at them differently.
0: Well, and I don't. He wasn't saying that we can. It's just how limiting they can be to describe such amazing beauty and power. You know, like like you can you can add a bunch of. Extra words, but you know, what the one that struck me was sky. You know, he says, What a word to describe the sky! You know, like it's like, Holy moly, there's but uh, you know, without language or without words, we'd be it'd be very well, we not be able to communicate, so it's certainly a necessary thing, but uh, yeah, and I never thought of it until today, but a word like tree to describe that thing, you know, just to describe what a tree is my goodness, like, that's a pretty small word to describe that, that organism. And, and what you use, you know, what people would, uh, what they would interpret that mm-hmm. word to mean, you know, what a tree means, it's, it's quite a broad range. And we do our tree biology class, you know, one of the exercises we do is at the start of the class, we have everybody draw a tree, just draw a tree, you know, we give everybody crayons and everyone's kind of going like, what the heck? And then at the end of the class, after two days of tree biology, draw a tree now. And it's interesting how what you think a tree is changes.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that. That's I mean, there, let me guess. The roots are <laughs> the roots are probably always included in the, in the second drawing and maybe left out of the first one. <laughs> is 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 that a common theme? Yeah.
0: It's really interesting. You know, some people draw nests you know a branch with a nest on it right more you know some people just draw a shape some but without when the second drawing there's just there's a a bit more detail and more nests you know interestingly enough uh more more cavities uh but it's 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 quite random yeah it's really interesting it's just I think that's why we have art. You know, I yeah. think that's why we have no, to have that's, art. That's because, really neat. You know, it's getting back to this whole word limitation. If all we had was words, it, they just aren't enough. That's why we sing and dance and, you know, why we have music and why we draw and why we have art. You know, that the arts are part of the way we communicate the the, the beauty and magnitude of the world around us, I think you know is why we have them
1: yeah definitely words are limiting and especially especially i don't have a very expansive vocabulary some people some people are very good with words um, and yeah they can certainly explain things (laughs) you know
0: very well well, you know, it, it, this is what happens, Astrid, when when we have a uh, when when tree actions as such is unorganized, um, and uh, we just kind of leave the conversation to go to where it it goes. It's it's really a joy and a pleasure, and uh, I don't know where we're at, Tony. We're probably getting close to our, our our. We find Astrid around. It's it's just over an hour. We typically it just kind of reach this point where. I don't know, I swear, yeah. the clock's like this 60-minute clock thing. It seems like we're on a 70-minute cycle or something. But but I've just I really enjoyed chatting with you. And it's been fascinating listening to your perspective. And And I've loved that we have a forester on, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have more about it here. I think the first, or at least the first forester that it's admitted to us that they a forester. But I'm pretty sure you're the first forester that we've had on the show.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah Yeah, uh, i thought i've admitted i know i know the arborists are like oh yeah foresters just want to cut down all the trees (laughs) that's what. that's often what i hear it's like oh yeah they're just about cutting down trees but that's not really true either so um yeah no no but it is a different train yeah 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 this has been great you guys hopefully that's something for you to work with
2: what was the dr shago quote about trees being systems so organized they repeat does that that sound about right
0: yes yeah trees are systems so highly ordered that they repeat
2: yeah i think we could say tree actions is so highly disorganized we can't help but repeat (laughs)
1: that's so good it makes it more casual Oh.